Welcome to the latest United We Stand in association with Betfred. Delighted to join former Manchester United England captain Brian Robson as the guest on this podcast. And Brian has agreed to answer questions from United We Stand readers and listeners. Brian, welcome and thanks for joining us. Thanks very much for the invitation, Andy. Okay, are you ready for these? I'm ready. <laughs> The first one is from Mr. Gene Neville, originally of Berry, who wants to know <laughs> where you're going before Madrid, the game in Madrid, and can he join you? Yeah, well, fortunately, myself, Salix, Gary, uh, we've been invited by a very good friend of ours, Peter Doan. And um, so we're flying out, go to a restaurant, have a nice meal, go to the match, hopefully really enjoy the game. And then we stay in the evening going out, which I'm, I'm sure Gary's paying the bill that night. <laughs> uh, then uh, we get back on the plane the next day and come back home. So hopefully it's going to be a fantastic trip. And you're going to look after Gary then, are you? I, I always look after him. <laughs> so you can remember him coming through then. You looked after him on the pitch, did you? Looked after him on the pitch. Uh, unfortunately, when we played PSG, we had a, a, a game like this and a trip like this. Uh, unfortunately, Gary was late for his daughter's his birthday party. <laughs> and he always blamed me. But it wasn't, it was unfortunately one of our friends lost the passport. So we had to stay and help him out until we got back. On the way to Madrid, I'm going to see a former teammate of yours who's moved to Spain, Lee Sharp. And he told me in a, an interview that when he was a young kid coming through, he got bullied a little bit because he was a kid. But you were the one who looked after him. You were the one who controlled the game in many ways. What did you do when you saw opponents flying into a talented youngster like Lee Sharp? What was your reaction? Andy, what it was, when I came through the ranks at West Brom, the senior pros were great. I could always remember the way they looked after me and John Trick, because uh, we were the only young lads in the squad. Um, so that stuck with me. Um, and when I came to United, all these young lads were coming through. And I, I used to hate seeing people get bullied on a football pitch or they're trying to frighten them. Um, and so that's why I'd always try and help the lads and protect them if I could. So I collected a few bookings because of it. <laughs> but they were, they were worth it. It was one for the team, was it? It was one for the team. And, and you know what I like now? Is that the lads always talk about it. So people like Giggsy, Lee Martin, Lee Sharp, when they all came through, they, they knew that I'd try and look after, look after them if I could do. 
And in your words, when we last spoke, it was get wired into them. Does that mean just, what does that mean? That means what you can't do today, uh, you get the ball, but then you follow through and you get the player <laughs> as well. Uh, and you hope that you get away with it. And you couldn't get away with it now. Oh, in today's game, tapered down. No, in today's game, I've always said there's a white line. You you don't cross the white line because the referees are looking, the rules are the rules, and if you get booked, you you can't go the next step where you're going to get booked again or you you get sent off. So you always go to the white line, and that's that's it. That's the rules. So, you know, you'd have to tape, like somebody like myself, I would have to sort of calm my challenges down to how I used to be. Okay. You were actually using that to describe how you got into Barcelona. 1984, got beat 2-0 in Camp Nou, came back to Old Trafford. Just tell us a little bit about that night because a lot of our older listeners have got very fond memories. They'd probably say it was the best atmosphere they've ever experienced at Old Trafford. You've got Barcelona coming to Old Trafford. They've got Diego Maradona in the team. They've got a 2-0 lead from the first leg. What happened next? Yeah, I mean, we got beat 2-0 over there. We knew it was going to be really difficult to turn it round. But we had nothing to lose, so we just went for it. I can always remember Ron Atkinson saying that we had to be quite aggressive and not allow Barcelona to, to play their possession game. And the lads did fab fabulous on the night. Uh, but the fans played, played their part as well. And so when we got 3-0 in front, and we were hanging on for the last sort of 10, 10, 15 minutes. The fans kept us going. And it was the atmosphere that, that they sort of brought to Old Trafford that night, kept us all going and helped us win the game. There's no doubt about that. Uh, and it is the best atmosphere I've witnessed at Old Trafford. When Maradona was asked to speak about that match and... I went to see him in Sinaloa, Mexico, um, before he passed away. And he said the following. He said, I remember that game in Manchester. Brian Robson, he was my favourite English player of that generation. He played that night. But I should have won a penalty. It was a penalty. Robson and Graham Souness, they were the best British midfielders. Great players. Was it a penalty? Never a pen. But, uh, hey, what a great player he was. And, you know, it was great to play against him. That's what you want to do in football. You want to challenge yourself and play against the best players in the world. Uh, but I, I can always remember Soccer Aid and Maradona uh, played in that. And we went to an after party later. And there was Robbie Williams, Maradona and Gaza were in the same room 
and I've got a photo with my son um, of the four of us all together. But Maradona, when I walked into the room, he came up to me, Brian, you all hot, you all hot. And he punched me. He punched me straight into the ribs. <laughs> United are playing Atletico Madrid. Can you remember anything of the previous tie between the two games? It was 1991. It was 3-0 to Atletico. Uh, you yeah. played in it. A couple of late goals, too, in the, the last four minutes from Paolo Futre and, and Manolo. And... United were the European Cup Winners' Cup holders at the time, and after that defeat, well, it was looking like you're going out, and that's what happened. Remember those two games at all, uh, uh, in Madrid and at Old Trafford? Uh, you, you know what? I can't particularly remember the Old Trafford game, but the Atletico Madrid game, yes, over there. I, like, it was a really tough game. They played well, and they deserved to beat us. We, we just didn't get going that evening. Uh, but... It's a great stadium, and you know they have got a great reputation now. Um, Simeone's done a fantastic job with them, and they'll be difficult to beat. But uh, yeah, but I've got good memories from Athletic because when I was eighteen, and I played for England youth team, our qualifying match was against Spain, and you played. We played at Bristol City. And then we went for the return leg over in Madrid and we played at Atletico Madrid Stadium and there was 60,000 people there and it was an unbelievable atmosphere for a youth team game. It was an unbelievable atmosphere and I'll always remember that because it's the first time I'd played in front of 60,000 people. Uh, but the great thing for England as well was we went through and we won the competition. Uh, you know, in the Mini World Cup. Uh, but we had great players. Ray Wilkins, Glenn Hoddle, Alan Kirbishley, Peter Barnes, all, all these sort of lads were playing in that team. Next question from Danny McMullen. Is it true that one of your former West Brom teammates took all his clothes off when he was in a pub with you, ran across <laughs> the road to the other side and ran back into a packed pub? How do people get to know these stories? <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was, I'm not going to say his name, but it was a little Scottish winger <laughs> who thought it was good fun, had a bet with all the lads who were having a drink. And so everybody threw a fiver in. He stripped off, ran across the main road, ran back into the pub, and picked his money up. <laughs> How close were you to taking the England job? And do you have any regrets that you didn't take it? That's from Anthony Shaw. You know, I worked on the Terry Venables, which I loved in 96. It was brilliant. Uh, but I was hoping to go to the World Cup with Terry as well. Uh, but unfortunately, he left England. I'd only been in management for two years and so when Jimmy Armfield sort of like offered me with the FA on board, I I sort of instead instead of saying, look, I'll give me the weekend to think about it and I'll come back to you, I just went, No, I haven't got enough experience and and so I don't think it's the right time for me to be England manager.
uh, bad decision. Philip B asks, what other real offers did you have to leave Manchester United? At, at the time, it was Wolves. They, uh, they were interested in taking me as player-manager. And then Owen Oyston, I had an interview with him at his house uh, because Blackpool were going to build a brand-new stadium and he wanted me to go there as manager as well. So those were the three choices, Wolves, Blackpool and then Burra. And what about when you've been a player who came in for your dance? There was always talk about interest from Italy. There was a lot of talk about Juventus, AC Milan and Sampdoria. Uh, but I don't think any of them really put the £3 million on the table that Martin Edwards and Ron Atkinson wanted at that time, which was a world record fee. Uh, so I was delighted in a way because I went in, saw Martin Edwards and said, look, if you're putting a price tag of that on me, I would like to sign a, a seven-year contract and you know, they offered me the seven-year contract and I was delighted because my, my family love it in Manchester. Simon Byrne wants to know, you at your peak against Roy Keane at his peak in a 50-50 challenge. Who, <laughs> who wins it? Well, put it this way, I'm not sure who would win it, but I know one thing, neither one of us would, would pull out the tackle. <laughs> and I've got to say... Everybody always talks about Keeney and myself and that. But I tell you what, Paul Ince was a terrific player as well. And uh, he was a tough lad, yeah, you know. So either one of uh, us three would definitely go into the tackle. Next question is, how in God's name did you manage to get Ravanelli, Emerson, Branca and Janino to Middlesbrough? Loads of money. <laughs> no, but Janino, uh, no, it was quite lucky really because I thought he was a terrific player when I saw him in the uh, Umbro Cup where it was Sweden, J Japan, Brazil and England. And I watched him play and I couldn't believe that there was no European clubs in for him. So when I went to... San Paolo and uh, bought Juninho. There wasn't really any competition, but then everybody saw how good he was when he came to England. But then um, he was a big influence. And when I got Ravanelli, Branco, Emerson, yeah, so he was a big influence then. So you flew to Sao Paulo to meet Juninho. What language did you communicate in? Did he speak English? Uh, his Italian agent could speak English right? and, how long uh, was it and so that was really helpful. How long was it before he was learning what a Parmo was in Middlesbrough and speaking English? You know there's a, a Brazilian community at Adborough which I didn't realise. So Juninho made a lot of friends who were Brazilian who were working at ICI. Uh, so that helped him settle into the area. I never knew that Middlesbrough had a Brazilian community. That's a lesson for me today. Uh, next question, Norris Cole. What 
is your favourite Bobby Robson story? Tell us a great anecdote about your former England manager and, and fellow Geordie. In fact, from County Durham, very close to where you grew up now. Yeah, that's right. Um, Bobby came from Sacriston and I was like Witten Gilbert, which was very, like a mile, two mile away from each other. But no, Bobby, what, what a great man. He um, loved football. The passion he showed for it was incredible. Um, and so when I worked with him, with England, I, I, it was fantastic. Um, but this one day we get on the pitch. And anyway, he, he stops the coach as we're going for training. And uh, I'm going, Gaffa, what's the problem? And he says, uh, I've forgotten my boots. And Chris Waddle said, uh, what, what size do you take? And he says, uh, I'm a size nine. But Bobby says, uh, look, I'm a size nine. And Chris Waddle said, look, I've got a brand new pair of size 10s. He says, so you can use them, boss. So anyway, we go to the training, finish training, and the boss has put these um, new, new boots on. So he comes across to the bench, and we're all having a few drinks. And uh, he sits down, he tells Chris Waddle to get out of the way. And anyway, he goes, Waddle, you told me these were, these were tens. He says, they've killed me. And when he takes the boots off, and there's blood all over his socks, so we shout Fred Strait, the physio at the time. He comes across, the boss takes his socks off. Anyway, every toe is blistered and starting to bleed. So Chris Waddle picks up the boot, and, and he can't understand why why his feet would be all blistered. So he unwraps, he gets the laces, and he puts his hands into the boot, and he pulls all the paper from the, <laughs> the toes. <laughs> so, yeah, so Bob wasn't, wasn't very happy, but uh, and we all had to make sure that he didn't catch us laughing. And Witten Gilbert, you said, there was a world-famous pop band came from there. Go, go, go on, you, you educate me, Andy. <laughs> Prefab Pre Sprout were from your village. I Is they, that right? Yeah, I remember saying, yeah, they became really big, but they broke through just after you'd left to, to move to, to West Bromwich. So. Right, I, you know what, I think you said yeah. this to me before. Yeah, and uh, they, they, they became big, they were... They're from the same village uh, as you. Uh, some questions now. Uh, Leroy, who wants to know, is Cheers still your favourite TV programme? Yes, I still watch it. Um, it's brilliant, even though it's always replays now. But, uh, no, great programme. You know, it's... Uh, yeah, it's still one of my favourites. Redra Fennick, uh, he says, I still can't believe we didn't win the league in the 80s. Can you? No, I think 85, that was the year. You, you know, when we got off to 10 wins on the belt, we should have went on to, to win the title that uh, year. 
But we got so many injuries, and it just showed that the squad wasn't quite strong enough to go on and win the title. Is it true you tried to get Michel Platini to sign for United? Is another question. Um, no. I, like, I, I've never had that conversation with him. But, uh, I, I mean, the one thing was we had big respect for each other, you know, when we played France-England. Um, and then when I had the interest of maybe he's going to Juventus, uh, you know, he would have been a big influence on me. Was it overcoming two or, or three broken legs in a short space of time early on in your career? Did that give you the determination which you had at your peak? Yes, you know what you're missing. So when you're out of football for two years, you understand what it's all about and why you play football, because you love it. Um, and so for me, the, the broken legs, sit, sitting in gym and in a physio's room, it used to drive me crazy. Um, and so when you get back, you, you just think you want, you, you want to play all the time. Away from Old Trafford, what was the best atmosphere you experienced as a player? Uh, there's no danger about that. Uh, Galatasaray. They are absolute crazy people. Um, so what an atmosphere. Hostile, but great as an experience to play there. And that was when, 93, when the, the police were getting involved, when all four sides of the ground were singing and one side would sing to the other, then they'd sing yeah. to each end, and then the whole stadium, including the Turkish Prime Minister, would just stand up and roar. It was incredible. Uh, it was. It, it's something you don't experience. Uh, it was something different. Uh, but, yeah, fantastic to play in that environment. What about a ground in England? Was there any that you particularly liked playing at? My favourite ground was Villa Park. I, now, I don't know whether it's because we, we had quite a bit of success there in semi-finals, uh, but it's an old traditional stadium and, and you know, it, it's a proper stadium to play in. It's New Year, but it's feeling harder than ever to find and hire the qualified people you need, especially for small businesses. That's where LinkedIn Jobs comes in. They make it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. You can create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network with over 30 million people in the UK. You can focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience using screening questions to get your role in front of only the most qualified. Then use the simple tools on LinkedIn Jobs to quickly filter and prioritise who you'd like to interview and hire. That's why Small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs the number one in delivering quality hires against the leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster and you can post a job for free. Just visit linkedin.com forward slash united. Again, that's linkedin.com forward slash united to post a job for free. Terms and conditions apply. When we spoke last time, you, you picked out the players who you played with at United who fans might have felt uh, were the obvious ones, Paul McGrath, Norman Whiteside, but Mark Hughes. But you also picked out Gordon Strachan and spoke very well of him as a player. Just tell us a bit more about that. Was he top level, Gordon? Gordon was definitely top draw. You know, 
what he was, he, he, look, uh, Gordon couldn't go about and smash people in tackles and that sort of thing. But what Gordon would do, no matter how well or how bad he was playing, he would always show for the the ball. Yeah, you know, and so for me, that's a bravery that you always want to be on the ball. And and then he had great vision. Uh, you, you know, so yeah, he was a top player, Gordon. Talk us through the FA Cup replay against Liverpool at Main Road. Well, that's one of my favourite games. It's definitely my favourite goal. You know, so to be a goal down against Liverpool, come back, win the game 2-1, uh, you know, that was a special moment. Uh, but the great thing about it as well, not just winning the game on that night, but going on to win the final where Norman Whiteside scores a great, great goal against Evan. Uh, you know, so just everything about that night was was great and and it being at main road <laughs> why did you hit the ball from so far away could you sense that ronnie whelan was catching up with you yeah i think it was mark lawrence and uh, ronnie whelan there was some but i just i sensed that that they were catching me um and so that's why i struck it when uh, when i did what was your worst injury uh, worst injury, snapped Achilles. Um, that was devastating in 1990 to miss the World Cup again after only two games. Uh, so yeah, that was a bad. That was a bad injury. Um, you scored one of your greatest goals for England away in Israel, but I'd like to ask you about another trip to Israel with Manchester United on a on a pre season tour. Um, let's just go through what happened you, you go down to the beach and you see a dead turtle what which then? was which was huge honestly so this um this guy went past on a little scooter and we shouted to him and we we give him a little bit of money and anyway we get this blanket and we tie it to the back of this lad's scooter and we put the turtle on it and we drive, drive it back to the hotel where we all walked out onto the beach from our room. And Mick Brown's room was just a couple of rooms up in an annex. And so we put it in the bath and put, put his cap on it and then put a cigar in its mouth. And we thought this was going to be hilarious. So we all go for evening dinner. And anyway, when we come back to this annex, we open the door and the smell was horrendous. And so what we had to do, we, we had to get go into Mick's room, get the turtle and put it back onto the beach. So we did that. But then next morning, we get up for breakfast and Mick Brown's going, did anybody smell anything last night? Last night he says my room stunk. <laughs> uh, so nobody admitted uh, to doing it. <laughs> so you you put a cigar and a cap on into a dead turtle of the, the uh, in the room of the assistant manager of Manchester United, and you were a ringleader in all of this. Weren't you? <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I, Rod Atkinson said I had to take the blame. In, in your film, which came out, and what's the reaction been like to your film? It came out just before Christmas. I think it's coming out on, on Amazon Prime now. Uh, you had um, a, a premiere for it. What sort of feedback have you had to it? No, it's been great. Yeah, you know, players throughout the country have sent me text messages, you know, just saying how, how they enjoyed it. Uh, friends and everybody all, all seem to enjoy it. So, and, and then the main thing for me as well, in the media, they've been very complimentary about it. Uh, you know, so that's great. And there's a bit at the start which I really like. It's not Brian Robson, the West Brom, Manchester United, England, Middlesbrough. It's Brian Robson, the Newcastle United fan as a kid. And you used to get the bus to St James's Park with your dad and what your dad would put you on the fence at the front and he'd go and have a few pints. Just tell us what that was like. Was that sitting in the paddock? Well, it was great. Yeah, sitting in the paddock. But it was great going to the match with me dad. I, that that's where I sort of gained love with football and wanted to be a player at that level, um, you know. So that was all from my dad, and I used to like to watch the way my dad enjoyed his day out at football, you know. So he'd go across the road for an hour for a couple of pints. I'd sit on the wall reading the program, uh, and that, and then he'd come back, enjoy the game, and. Yeah, you know, after the match, get get home. Uh, but it was just a great day out. How old were you when you thought, I've got a chance of making it as a footballer? When Burnley came to see you when you were in your early teens, what do you think they were they were struck by when they looked at you? Well, they, they came to watch me in a match when I was 13 and they knocked on the door, inviting me down to Burnley. And so I went on trials there. Then Coventry came in and I went trials there. Uh, and then West, West Brom. And then when there was three clubs sort of interested in me, I thought, I've got a foot in the door here, but I know that I have to work hard to uh, try and achieve what I wanted to achieve. Um, you know, so it started from there. Um. What did you have? Was it the stamina that you were famous for as, as a full professional? I think when you get into the school team, I was really good at cross countries. So, you know, I used to win cross countries whenever I sort of entered into them or the school wanted me to run. So I, would, I knew I had that. But then when you're playing in school matches, even though I was in midfield, I'd score quite a lot of goals compared to some of the other boys. So you just feel that you've got a chance. used to go into Paddy Creran's pub in Altrincham on, on a Sunday. If I'm not mistaken, you'd take your girls to swimming classes. You'd pop in by yourself for a quiet pint, but word soon spread. And then half the United fans in South Manchester were coming for a for a pint with you on a Sunday afternoon. Is that true? Are they happy memories? Was Paddy a good landlord? Yeah, it was great. Um, I, it was only out of chance. Uh, I didn't know it was Pad's pub. But I used to go swimming with the girls, then drop them off, and then I used to go for a walk for, for an hour or so. Uh, and then Denise, the wife, would uh, 
cup dinner. So this one day I was walking into Old Trinum and I called in this pub and there was Paddy standing behind the bar. So uh, I had a, had a few pints with Pad, and that got to be more or less every sun, every Sunday I would sort of do that. But then uh, a lot of the Withenshaw lads, yeah, they heard that I'd go in Paddy's pub and so Paddy then had like 30, 40 lads from Withenshaw every Sunday going in for a pint. And that was a place where you did plenty of pranks as well. Didn't you once get a phone call from there from Bobby Robson to say that you've been called up for England? Uh, yeah, I was uh, sit sitting with Paddy and the phone went and so Bobby said that he uh, was calling me up for the England squad. So we had that. Then uh, there, there was one day which I regretted really. Strack wanted to go home. And we said, no, you're not going home. So um, I opened my boot up and I picked Strack up and I, I put him in the boot <laughs> and, and, and left him there for 10 minutes. <laughs> he wasn't happy when I opened the boot. <laughs> You picked Gordon Stracker up and put him in the boot of your car. Yeah, so then he couldn't go home. <laughs> <laughs> and, and didn't you want to bring Colin Gibson up to say that he'd been called up for England by pretending to be Bobby Robson? Uh, that, yeah, that was bad. That was bad. That was Whiteside's influence. Because uh, he was desperate to get into the England squad. And so... Uh, I, I, I'm saying to Norman, like, I, I'm going, how's me Bobby Robson voice? And he says, you're close, be being a Geordie, he says, but you've got to do more Geordie. Uh, so anyway, I phoned Colin up, and he actually thought he was in the England squad. On the Monday, he was absolutely high as a kite. And unfortunately, I had to tell him it was me. <laughs> Uh, and what did he do? Uh, he nearly cried. <laughs> I suppose coming from the same village or a neighbouring village as your manager gave you a big advantage in terms of getting the accent right. But was this just an example, these pranks of the good team spirit that you had? How important is it when you're playing in a successful team to, to get on well socially and, and have each other's backs? Uh, team... T team play, it's, it's a hell of a lot. You know, if the lads get on well together, uh, they'll enjoy each other's company, you work harder and you fight harder for each other. Uh, so team spirit is really important. Could you, could you ever see that United were about to turn a corner in the darker days at the late, the late 1980s, there was a 13th place league finish, an 11th place league finish. Uh, Sir Alex was under a lot of pressure. Did you feel that some something would, good was going to come? It was just a matter of time? Or was it as bleak as it seemed because results were bad? No, I think 87, 88, it was bleak. Uh, you know, we were getting bad results, bad performances. But then when the boss brought in... People like Brian McClare, Neil Ware, Big Pally, Brucey. When he started adding people like that to the squad, you're thinking, oh, no, these are good players, and it's just going to be a time 
for us to bond. And so in, in 90, when we won the FA Cup final, with all those young lads in, you just felt, no, th this could be special now. But then the following year, you know, we, we go and win the European Cup Winners' Cup. I mean, that just gave everybody massive uh, confidence boost. Was that your best game, Rotterdam? I tended to say that uh, because everybody looked at the Barcelona game at Old Trafford because I scored two goals. But for me, I, I just saw I played really well uh, in Rotterdam. Uh, and I, I felt really fit at that time as well. Um, and it was, uh, that, that was a great win for the, for the club. And a great night for the fans in the rain singing Sit Down. <laughs> yeah, it was a fantastic night. Uh, not the weather, but the, the game and the victory. And, and Brian McClare told us recently that at the after-match party, you and him were the last men standing with one of Brian's mates and Mick Hucknell. And Brian McClare had advised Mick Hucknell that Simply Red were past the peak and weren't going to enjoy commercial success. And... Within a year, their album Stars had sold 21 million copies. So, Chalky still owes Mick Hucknell an apology. Yeah, Chalky does. But, I mean, I thought it was quite funny because like, we'd had a lot of beers that night. But then we all also we got, got out of trouble with our wives because when the people were coming down for breakfast, I said to Chalky, you get the champagne, I'll get the orange juice. And we were giving everybody books for us for, uh, for breakfast. So we got away with it from our wives. What's it like being a granddad? No, it's great. I love it. Um, I get on really well with the kids. Maybe I'm on the same level as them. <laughs> but uh, no, I enjoy playing games with them. I enjoy taking them out, uh, having holidays with them. Uh, you know, so yeah, you know, being a grandparent's brilliant. And finally, what's it like going to Leeds away as a Manchester United player? Uh, pretty fierce, but uh, no different to places like Chelsea, Millwall, you know, Liverpool. Uh, you know, you know, you're going to get fierce atmosphere. Um, but that's what football's all all about. You know, going to these places and getting great results. What was it like going to Liverpool, to Anfield? Because even though they were often the top dogs, the, the United teams you played in in the 80s often had fantastic results there. Yeah, I think it was a case where we raised our game because it was against Liverpool. Uh, and we knew that we, we were quite confident about beating Liverpool, even though they had a fantastic team, great players. You know, so we knew we could be competitive with them. Uh, but they had a great squad. Are you optimistic about the future of, of Manchester United? Yes, I am. I, I think people have got to give Richard Arnold uh, time. You know, he's just moved into the club uh, in the position he's in now. So, building the club, every aspect of it, not, not just the stadium, the team, all that sort of thing, every, everything... We, he will try and improve on and you know for me we just need that little bit of time to rebuild the squad and hopefully we can get a trophy 
under our belts within the next few years. I'd like to thank you for joining us and giving us your, your time, Brian. And if you've not seen it, Robbo featuring music from New Order as well. You must have been happy with how it all came out when you watched it back. And what about your family? What did they make of it? Yeah, great. They were very proud. Um, you know, the production company and that, they, they did fantastic and they putting it all together. So, yeah, I'm really pleased with the way the movie's turned out. I love the bit where you meet your wife in a pub in West Brom and she knew nothing <laughs> about football. She thought you were cute. She still knows nothing about football. <laughs> <laughs> thanks again for your time, Brian. Uh, thanks very much, Andy. So that's it for this podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening to Brian and some of his stories. The next podcast will be recorded in West Yorkshire at Leeds on Sunday in the United End, around the ground, etc. So we're just preparing for that little trip. Uh, there's been high-level diplomacy back and forward. Uh, talks of manoeuvres close to the border. And lots of people with lots of different opinions chipping in on Leeds Away. That should be interesting. We're also deep into working for the next United We Stand. It comes out against Watford. So we've got a lot on. We've got a lot of travelling coming up. Um, Atletico next week, obviously a big one, which everyone's looking forward to. And we've put some decent information about Madrid on United We Stand's website. So if you want to subscribe to United We Stand, uh, the deadline is on, on Monday uh, after the Leeds match. Uh, we put links out. It's very easy to find how you subscribe to United We Stand. Just go to our website, uwsonline.com. And if you subscribe, then we will send you 10 copies of the mag in the post. Or you can subscribe to a digital edition as well. And we're also looking at having at least one seller outside Old Trafford who can take card payments as well. Because we've just taken cash so far. But a few people have asked and it's not ideal either way. But we've, we've bought a card reader. So we'll probably have that in operation in the top spot. Uh, outside Old Trafford for when the next mag comes out against Watford. Once again, thanks for listening. And thanks for the support for this podcast from Betfred, established by Fred Doan, a Salford Red in 1967.